I don't know if you've ever heard this saying before. I, I think it's uh, accurate. I, as you look at in, in life a little bit, you'll find it accurate. And the statement goes like this. Circumstances don't make a person. Circumstances reveal what they already are. Think about that. Circumstances don't make a person. Circumstances reveal what they already are. And when pressure is applied on the outside, what is on the inside invariably will come out. If you put a vice on an orange, orange juice comes out, right? We could go right down the line with any type of object that there is. And sometimes when we are pressed as individuals within our life, there's all sorts of things that come out of us when we're pressed. Maybe things like fear or anger or retaliation. I like that one. Yeah. Retaliation or maybe ungodly speech. Yeah. Oh my, fill in the God's name in vain. Oh my, or whatever. Ungodly speech comes out sometimes when people are pressed. And what I notice here in Acts chapter 28, when Paul was pressed, it was actually incredible to see what came out of him. And I want to look at this this morning. Here he is on the last leg of his journey. Uh, Brother Jim just read the text for us just a little bit ago. They've been in a massive shipwreck. Um, they are. They had to swim to shore. They're drenched. They're cold. They're wet. It's been a miserable trip already, and it's going to get even worse. And Brother Jim read here, and we saw it here in verses 2 and 3, but there's something I noticed about Paul, okay? The trip's been pretty bad. It's been a miserable trip. And I've noticed the first thing I noticed about Paul is that Paul was a worker. Paul was a worker. Notice this in verse 2. And the barbarous people, we'll look at this in just a little bit. Uh, barbarous people, people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received every one of us because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks. So here they are. They shipwrecked. They've swam to shore. They, it is probably October, November. It's cold. It's raining. Hypothermia is a real problem. We're not talking about buildings today that have central heat and it's like, come on, get in, folks, get in, get inside and get warm. No, they had to build a fire. They had to get warm there by the fire. And so here they are. The, 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 the thing was, it had to be done quickly before they just, even if you didn't get hypothermia, you're wet and cold, you're going to get sick, you're miserable. And we see here that these islanders here in Mylita jumped in and helped them. And I, that, I find this word interesting. And it's not the, what you think it would be, but it says the barbarous people. Now that word barbarous doesn't mean that they were violent. It doesn't mean that they were mean, like we think of the word barbarian. In the Greek world, in the Greek culture, a barbarian is simply somebody who did not speak Greek. They didn't speak the language. They were just barbarous. They were barbarians. They didn't speak Greek. And notice here, here's some evidence that they weren't like we think of the word barbarians. Paul said, they showed us no little kindness. Look at this. So here they are. They're concerned about it. And they started to build a fire. They see him swimming in. They see pieces of the ship coming up on shore. Uh, they're drenched and they're wet. And they thought, oh my, this isn't good. I mean, these people live on the ocean. These people live in ships. They know what happens out there. They know the danger of the seas. And uh, 
It's something, you know, it's a compassion and an empathy and a sympathy that they have, most likely because they've, they've been around it their whole life. And they know the danger behind it, right? And so here they are, they're building a fire and they're getting things going. And Paul, we find here Paul is doing the same thing. He's helping them. Yeah. I want you to think about the Apostle Paul. He's a pretty smart dude. He was on the Council of Sanhedrin, most people believe. He was a Pharisee, we know that. He studied under Gamaliel, one of the greatest minds of the Jewish people. Not only that, he's probably in his 60s right here. Not only that, he's started and planted churches all over the known world already. He's a pretty important dude. He was a pretty important guy. He could have very well sat back at his age and with his experience and said, Ah, them young guys can get it. And they could have. They could have done it. There's 270 some people on the ship. Somebody else could have gotten to that. But notice what Paul did. He jumps in and he's helping right along with everyone else. Why? Because if you look at the, of, uh, of the, the nature of Paul's life, the guy never stopped working. He was a tent maker. He was a church planter. He was a stick gatherer and fire builder. You know, the guy just never quit working. And I love this about the apostle Paul is that he, this was the mark of his life, which was that Paul was a worker. I think this is a great admonition for us. I think everybody should be a worker, not a loafer. We have enough loafers today. Not, not the things you put on your feet, not those type of loafers. The ones that just won't get a job. Not that they can't get a job. Not that they're not able to get a job. Not that they are, are incapacitated in some way and physically unable to work. We're not talking about those people, are we? We're talking about those that are well and capable and able to work and they just won't work. That's ungodly people. That is, listen, that is not even that God himself works. Jesus says, my father works and I work too. Why? You know what, God? We're created in His likeness and image, and we should all be workers. You know what sin has made us? Lazy. In- introspective and worried about our own self. And, and we live in a lazy society right now. Oh, I know there's some people, they, we still have plenty of them. They work their fingers to the bone. But some of you at a certain stage of your life now can look back and you can say, boy, it's not like it used to be. We've got some lazy people out there, right? Some of us are paying 50% of our income to taxes. Why? Because some people won't work. Oh, I'm going I'm to quench the spirit this morning. What am I saying? Paul was a worker, and we ought to be workers. It is, he was just like the Lord Jesus Christ. And I tell you what, the, the work done at church, there, should be, there is work to be done here. There's work to be done in your job. There's work to be done at your home. We should just be working people. There should be nothing. There should, be, there should never mark a child of God. Laziness should never mark the child of God. Never. Never. And Paul was a worker. But you know what happens when you're a worker? Problems come. I remember one time at our church at Aurora, I was probably about 20 years old or so, and I figured I down in the, 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 uh, the high school, Sunday school class, I painted this big logo on the wall, okay? And I had all my paints out and all this stuff. And, and they had just put carpet downstairs, new carpet down the basement, and I'm painting away, and I have paint up on oil-based paint, not, not water-based, oil-based paint. And back then, it actually still had lead in it. It was good paint, good paint. And I'm painting away, and I was over there at night and just doing this neat logo up on the wall. Turned around and knocked a quart of paint off onto the new carpet. And immediately I'm like, 
I'm dead. This is not good. Because it, it's not coming out. You, you're not wiping it out. You're not doing anything. And, man, I had called Brother Parsons. I had called my preacher and tell him. I was like, uh... Well, actually, his son answered the phone. I told him what happened. He goes, oh, I'll get dad. I was like, it's not funny. I was like, he thought it was pretty funny. And he got on the phone, of course, and he's like, oh, all right. And, uh, but you know what he said a few weeks ago? He said something about that what came up. And it was kind of, I still didn't think it was funny. But he said this. He said, you know what? People that don't do anything don't make mistakes. Yeah. You know what happens when you're a worker? Problems come. Mistakes come. We, we mess things up, right? It's just a part of it. And here we see in, in the Apostle Paul right here, he's laboring, he's working. He doesn't have to. He could have, he could have pulled the old age card. He could have pulled the, 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 the smart card and said, I'm too good for that. No, but he was down in there. But you know what happened? Problems come. He's throwing sticks on the fire and he was bit by a snake. A viper, it says. A poisonous Snake. This wasn't a black snake. This wasn't a garter snake. This is a poisonous snake. How bad was it? The people on the island are waiting for him to drop dead. You know? Do you see what they said here? They said, "Well, he's a murderer. The sea didn't get him. Now that snake got him." You know this this uh, this uh, unbiblical thing called karma. Uh, listen, karma is 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 uh, Johnny come lately. Okay. The Bible says long before karma came, the, the topic of karma was was uh, what you meet to others will be meted back to you. We you sow, we reap what we sow. That's that's what karma is trying to say. God already said it. But this is what they think. Oh, he's getting what's coming to him. He had a snake bite, and they're watching him. They're watching him. My, my friends would have watched me if I got bit by a snake too. They'd been like, let's watch this. This is gonna be cool, you know. And uh, this is what we always did when something hurt somebody else. We just watched, you know. Oh, that was good. That was good. More blood than last time. That was a lot more blood than last time. Right. And they're watching him, and he just keeps... He should, what, look, notice what the Bible says here in verse 3. And laid them on the fire. There came out a viper of the heat and fastened on his hand. He didn't just like snap and... I mean, he, he sunk in. And he said, and when the barbarians saw the venomous snake hang on his hand, they said among themselves, no doubt this man is a murderer. Whom, though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. So they're like, they're waiting for the dude to drop dead. This is going to be, I mean, they're probably getting the shovels out. And we're going to dig a grave and get rid of this guy. And look what it says in verse 5. I love this. I love this. He shook it off. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. So it went from, this guy's a murderer and he's going to die. And they're waiting and they're Waiting and waiting. And he puts more sticks on the fire. He shook the thing off and he's working. And then they go, he's not a murderer, he's a god. You know, now they're all excited like this guy is incredible, right? But I want you to notice this in verse 5. You can underline this if you want to. And he shook off the beast. I like that. Do you know there's things in life that need to be just shaken off? Amen. Yeah. Paul was bitten by a snake when? While he was working. While he was in the will of God. While he was doing what God wanted him to do, that's when he got bit. You notice that? This is when snakes show up in your life. I just want to spend a minute on this snake here. This thing fascinates me. 
You know, when you're doing things for God, you're going to get bit. Yeah. Remember, remember, remember what my old pastor said? Yeah, people who don't do anything, you know, don't make mistakes. People who don't do, do anything don't get bit. People who are doing something get bit. Notice this, he was bitten by this snake. Not only that, notice this about the snake, it was hidden. It was underneath the pile of sticks, and, and it, it, you couldn't really see it. And I'm telling you today, rarely in life do we see the things in life that are going to bite us. No, so many times you can look back at your life and see they were hidden. Didn't see that? You ever heard this one? Didn't see that coming. <laughs> yeah, no, you really don't usually. We don't usually see that. They're hidden. But when did the snake come out of the fire? I mean, when did it come out from underneath the sticks? When the fire heated up. Well, he's probably hibernating. Yeah, I've, I've pulled rocks over out in the woods and seen little snakes under there. I still jump. But, I mean, it was wintertime and they're just, boy, they're, they're easy to get thin. Really easy. And, and uh, they're, they're under there. They're hibernating. Well, they had built this fire here. And as the fire began to heat up, of course, the snake, you know, they're, what, what would you call them, cold-blooded. They, they like the heat, and he starts coming alive. Maybe he's getting a little too hot and doesn't like the heat. Maybe it's too much heat now. And he comes out of there, and that hand's close enough, and boy, he bit it. He bit Paul. Can I tell you something I've noticed in life? Some of you have noticed this. When things begin to heat up in a church, the, the snakes show up. When God begins to do something in a church, it seems like snakes uh, show up. When people are living for God and they're trying to live for God and serve God in their life, that, that snakes show up when, they're, when the fire is, is put up. And I've noticed this, that it, sometimes it is the fire of preaching that will either make people get right with God or it will drive them to start attacking and biting and snapping. This is where Paul is. You know, there is one thing I think we can all know and all agree on is that, you know what, it kind of hurts. kind of hurts to be bit by a snake. hurts to be bit by a dog. I had a dog bite me in the back of the leg, and I, I, I wanted to kick him so bad. And I looked around to see if anybody was looking. I was, it's a good thing there's people around. He was going to be a... I was going to lovingly correct him. And, uh, but it hurts. It hurts to get bit. Well, you know, when I was a kid, I actually, strangely enough, I liked to ca- I liked to catch snakes. Like grade school, when I was really stupid, and uh, I mean, if there's a snake, I'd, I would drop things and run and try to jump on them. I'd catch them and I'd bring them home. My, my dad hollered from downstairs one time. He said, "Derek, your one of your snakes is out down here." You know, I was like, "What are you afraid of?" The guy's like six foot two forty. He's a big guy, and I'm like, "Dad's scared of a snake." I didn't know that. I didn't think he was scared of anything. You know, and I had I I. 38-pound me had to go get the snake for him. You know, I was like, yeah, yeah. I was still afraid of him too. But anyway, he was afraid of the snake. I love catching snakes. One time I, I was at a friend's house. He had a pond in their backyard. And it was it was like, uh, it was snake haven back there. And I was walking by the pond. I noticed this big, big black snake coiled up right by the by the water. And it, this was like, this was the mother load of snakes. And I'm, I'm like, stop. And I'm getting, I'm like creeping up to him, you know, and I got down there and I, I reached for him and just, I mean, just in a, in a flash, he turned around and he bit me right in the arm. What happened was I grabbed too low from his head. I was so excited. I got up to him and I was like, Duh! and he had about, I don't know, about six inches of body left hanging out and he just turned around and he, he got me on the arm. I bled like a stuck hog. I went up to the house and, and it kind of hurt a little bit. 
And uh, you know it's weird. After that, my my snake days were kind of over. I kind of quit chasing. It's amazing. I did go back out one more time to look for him with a shovel, but uh, I was going to win, and I never did see see him again. But uh, it hurts to be bit, folks. You know, when you, when you get bit in the service of God, when you're just trying to serve God in your life and do what God wants you to do, you're just coming to church, you're just coming to services, you're just involved over here and you're trying to do this and you're trying to be a witness to people in your life and you're trying to lead your children right and lead your family right. You're just trying to serve God and you get bit doing it. I'm telling you, it hurts. It hurts. Yeah. Paul was wounded. Paul was wounded while he was serving God. While he was, obviously, this wasn't the first time he's gone through something. This was probably a might bit easier than the stoning, right? And the beatings. Remember the time he, the, the disciples are standing around and thinking, "Well, he's dead. He had been stoned. <laughs> they just let, oh, yeah, he's he's dead. He ain't moving. Yeah, what did he do? He got up and walked back into the city. Eventually, when he came to again, right?" Would you notice this also, though, that the snake didn't kill Paul? No, the bite hurt. It was real. It wasn't make-believe. You know, it's like watching a little little toddler running through the house and he does a face plant and moms go, ah! and Dad's like, all right, I'll be all right. Get up. Get up. You know, <laughs> act like it never really happened. You're fine. Sometimes it works, doesn't it? They just look at you like, oh, yeah, maybe I am, yeah, yeah. Then when they really scream, it's like, no, that's right. Yeah. Okay, okay, you hurt. No, this hurt. It really did. But it didn't kill Paul. Why? Because God had a plan for Paul's life. Amen. Jesus had already met with him that night at the Fortress Antonia and said, you're going to Rome. You've been a witness for me in Jerusalem, you're going to go to Rome. What does that mean? <laughs> if God says that, it's final. I don't care what Satan does to you. I don't care what opposition you come. I don't care how many snakes you get bitten by. If God says you're getting over here, you are getting over here. Yeah. And it's a great reminder, isn't it? I've said this before, and I've heard it said, that we are immortal until God is done with us. Right. I mean, we get bit in life. It hurts. But ultimately, it can't kill us. And even if it does kill the body, it can't get the soul. Our soul is eternally secure in Christ. Yeah. So Paul was wounded. Paul shook it off. He shook it off. And he just went on serving and working. You know, I think there's a lot of people in churches. I believe every, probably every one of us in here Almost every one of us in here have probably been bit somewhere in life and you still haven't shaken it off. It's still latched onto you. It's still latched onto your hand. It's latched onto you somewhere and you're still dragging the thing around with you. You know, one of the greatest lessons my parents probably taught me was the lesson of getting up and trying again. Getting up and doing it again. I can still see this in my mind. I remember it as clear as, as clear as can be. I mean, this has been probably at least, uh, at least 40 years ago. 
at least, maybe more than that. I had this really cool bicycle. It was a red bicycle. It was all bright red. I think it was a Ross or something like that. I forgot the brand name. But it had this really nice banana seat, white banana seat, long, skinny one, not the fat one, skinny one. And it had flames on the seat. Oh, this thing was awesome. I had the coolest bike around, flames on the seat and all this stuff. And it had something really not cool on it, which was called training wheels. Training wheels and flames on a seat, some, that's an oxymoron. It just doesn't work. Okay. And one day, my dad took my bicycle, and he got his couple wrenches out and started taking the training wheels off. And, of course, my mother's sitting there going, Now, Mick, now, Mick, do you think you ought to take them off yet? And he'll yeah, be all right. You know, you know, this is the old school dads here. He'll be all right. So he's taking them all off, right? Took my training wheels off. And he gets me on the top of this hill in the back of our yard. And it really wasn't that big. But when I was a kid, I thought it was this huge hill. And he puts me on the bike. He goes, all right, go. And he pushed me. And I went about 20 feet, poof, over, slid down the rest of the hill. All right, come on up. Try it again. And uh, so I'm dragging my bike up the top of the hill. And he puts me back on it. Go. Pushes me down the hill. About 30 feet this time, over on the side. Slid down the rest of the way. You know, Come on up. Try it again. And you know what happened? I learned how to ride a bike. Yeah. What else I learned was to get on and do it again. What else I learned was, you know, that didn't feel good, but for some reason when your dad's screaming at you to come back to the top of the hill and do it again, for some weird reason as a child, you just like a sheep to the slaughter, you do it again. I don't know what. He had this presence about him. He just did what he said, right? How many had dads like that? Yeah, remember those days? Remember those days? Right? Were those good days? And and uh, so I, I learned to get... But you know what else happened after that? That same bicycle, my brother, he's about seven years older than I am. I've told you this story before, making jumps. I went off a jump like that he had made, and I broke both bones in his right arm. Yeah. Laid there squalling and bawling and all this stuff. Yeah. My brother, he's kind of like an old school dad. He came out and said, get up, you're, you're, you're being a girl, get up. You know, so I got up and my arm goes slump and it's like hanging, you know, because both bones are broke. You know, he he about pukes. And he runs back in the house, you know. <laughs> I'm saying, you know, my yeah, we're nuts. And uh, so, uh, you know what happened after that? I rode my bike again with a cast on. Even I got back on. You know, you know what happened after that? I used to race BMX bikes. You know how many bad wrecks I've had. You know what happens? I still ride a bike. No, this was a lesson that was taught. And it was a lesson that was taught to most of you as well. The lesson of what? Just shake it off and get back on the bike and do it again, right? Shake it off, get back on the horse and ride it again, right? It bucks you off. What do you do? You go and you punch it in the head and you get back on it. Oh, I didn't say that. That was, if there's any animal rights people here today, I, I fed the horse a carrot and spoke to it gently and then got back on it. So. Paul went on. Paul was bit. He was hurt. He was working in the midst of it all. And he went on. You know, I got thinking about this. We are created beings with a finite mind that has been marred by sin. Now watch this. Even as Adam was created perfect, he still did not have all knowledge. I'm going somewhere. Stay with me, please. He was never created to be omniscient. 
He was never able to know the future. He was a perfect human being. He was not perfect like God. He was still a, he was a perfect creation, but he was still creation. And because of our limitations, you know what happens? We make mistakes. In this fallen world, bad things are going to happen. In a fallen world, sin is going to show up in our life. And watch this, please. The mark of a righteous man, the mark of a just man or a woman is that they get up and they go on when they make mistakes. Proverbs 24, 16, a wonderful verse. You should memorize it. It says, For a just man falls seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. Did you know that? Did you notice that in that verse? The mark of a righteous man is not that he doesn't fall. The mark of a just man or woman is not that they don't make mistakes or that they get saved and they'll never have problems again or they'll never fall again or they'll, or they'll never do this again or do that again. No, the mark of a just man or woman is that they will fall, but they will get up again. Yeah. You see somebody who falls and they never, ever, ever, ever get up again? Hmm. There might be another issue there. There may have been like that seed that was planted that came up for a while. And then the weeds and the cares of the world choked it and it went away. You see, Paul shook off the snake and went right back to ministering. Like I said before, he already did it when he got stoned. Went right back into the city. Started over again. Yeah. And he does it he does it here as well. Look at verses seven through ten. In the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. This was a, these were just some very kind people. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux. That sounds exciting. Whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. Paul was still ministering. Paul was still working. Paul was still laboring. No, if you look at the ministry of Paul, it totally shifted. He was not planting churches anymore. He was not in other countries anymore. He wasn't the great missionary Paul anymore. He's on a, he's on a, he's, he's, he's a, uh, he, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? He's a, uh, like a criminal locked up on a ship, headed to Rome, hoping to get in front of Caesar Nero to, to, to uh, argue his case why he has been wrongfully treated. He's in a totally different stage of his life and stage of his ministry. But it didn't stop him from ministering. So many people, listen to me, so many people get to a stage of life and life changes and ministering stops. And we don't see this in Paul. The stage of the life he was in here didn't change anything about him. He was still ministering. He was still laying hands on the sick. He was still preaching the gospel. It, when they remember they ate a bunch of food on the ship and what did he do? He prayed in front of them all and prayed for the prayed for the food. I, I don't know if you know Dave McCracken, but Dave McCracken one time was at a restaurant with somebody, and uh, you have to know McCracken, he's nuts. And uh, he got up in the restaurant and he said, Now I know nobody has probably play, prayed for their food here, so I'll go ahead and pray for everybody. And he just prayed out loud in the restaurant for the, everybody's food while they, yeah, he's nuts. And, and Paul did this here on the ship, you know, he just prayed in front of everybody. He what? It, what watch, this, watch this about Paul's life. When he was pressed, when, when the pressure was put on him, 
When the circumstances were forcing upon Paul's life, what came out of him? What was there? He had a life of ministry. He said, he had a life of I die daily. He, was a, he had a life of death to himself and alive unto God. He never changed. He never changed. Look at this. Verse 9. So when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed. He just worked the whole time he was there. Why? Because there were needs. There were needs. There were needs to stack sticks on a fire. And there were needs that people needed spiritually, physically and spiritually. And Paul was ready to meet every need that was presented to him. Sometimes I'm afraid we get to certain stages of life. And we think that needs don't need met anymore. Somebody else can meet them. Oh, I know there's... Hey, listen. I understand there's some needs that God isn't going to put in front of us to meet. He's going to put them in front of somebody else to meet. But watch. The things that God has put in front of you that you can meet, are you meeting them? Are you meeting them? Paul worked. Paul was wounded. But he got on. He shook it off. And he got back on and he went on. See, Paul was put under the vice of this world and he responded in such a way that is completely and utterly uncommon. Now watch this. What came out of him? What came out of him was Christ. In spite of the danger... In spite of the physical abuses, in spite of the uncertainty, in spite of the life plans that didn't turn out like he thought they were going to. When Paul got bit, he shook it off, he got up, and he went on exactly where God wanted him to go. You know what I wish? And I thought about this introspectively in my own life. It was an encouragement to me to think about this. But I wish Christians would learn to shake off things and go on. Paul said, putting those things which are behind me, I press on. Right? Actively dealing with things. You might have to go before God and say, that was sin. I acknowledge it. I admit it. Forgive me, but then get back on the bike and go on. Yeah. Let me ask you this morning, how do you respond when life doesn't turn out like you want? I've asked this question. I could ask it again for raising hands and everybody raised their hand. But uh, how, many's, how many's life didn't turn out like they thought it was going to? Yeah. Nobody's. It never does. And you know what, when you're busy for God and someone bites you, how do you respond? When you're trying to serve God, when you're just trying to do what you think God wants you to do, when you're just trying to raise your family the way God wants you to raise your family and a family member bites at you or a church member bites at you or somebody out in the world bites at you, how, what is your reaction? 
Do you quit? Do you retaliate? Or do you take it to the Lord? Remind yourself of what God has called you to do and do that. You know, this isn't just for preachers and missionaries this morning. It's, it's not just for those that are in the, quote, limelight of ministry. Every, ch- watch, ooh, every child of God is a servant of God. It's called to be a servant of God. Colossians 3.24 Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. We are all servants of God. You know what? I'm so thankful I'm a servant of God because I'm no more a servant of Satan. I was a servant of this world. I was a servant of Satan. I was a servant of my flesh. But Jesus released me and freed us from that. And now we can serve him. I love what Charles Ryrie said. He said, Christian liberty isn't the, isn't the license to sin. Christian liberty is the freedom to be a slave to righteousness. Think about that. We couldn't, we couldn't serve righteousness because we weren't righteous. But Christ has made us righteous and we serve God. Acts 27, 23, Paul just said this not too long ago on this same ship. He said, for there stood by me this night the angel of God whose I am and whom I serve. Paul said, I serve God. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. It's not just for preachers. It's not just for missionaries. If you are a child of God here this morning, you are a servant of the God of heaven. And you know what it is about servants? Oh, I know there's another aspect of our relationship with God as child. And that's a wonderful aspect of that relationship. I know there's another aspect of that relationship as adopted children, as joint heirs with Christ, as a as a uh, as Jesus as our elder brother. I understand I understand all of the aspects of our relationship to God, which are wonderful. But one of the aspects of a relationship is of a servant of God. And a servant is to be faithful. Faithful. Listen to what God said in the 106th Psalm. 101st Psalm, I'm sorry. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. Faithful service. Faithful service. First Corinthians 4.2 Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found a faithful. Faithful. All through the New Testament you see this adjective of faithful used to mark the servants of God. So we are a servant of God. A servant is supposed to be faithful. And a servant of God will be rewarded. Do you realize you're going before the judgment seat of Christ? You say, well, I, 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 I'm saved. Wait a minute. I thought it's just heaven and we're going to heaven and that's the end of it. Yes, we are. Glory to God. We're going to heaven. We're going to be where Jesus said, where I am, there, you may, there shall you be also. Hallelujah. We're going to be there. But you know, I don't know if you noticed the chronology of this, but he wipes away tears. When he wipes away all the, you remember it says, and he'll wipe away all tears and people have, well, how are there tears in heaven? This is wonderful. You know. No, the, the wiping away tears is after the judgment, folks. Why? Because a lot of us, and I've thought about this personally, there's a lot of loss we're going to suffer. 
We're going to be judged by the Lord Jesus Christ, not for salvation. We're going to be judged as a child who has been given a job to do and, who, and how faithfully they've done it. Your parent ever leave there in the middle of the day, or in the morning and say, uh, clean your room before I get home. And what happens when you get home? Well, judgment's rolling around. <laughs> Judgment rolls around. They come look in the room and say, get, uh, you need to give an account of your room. You didn't do it. Oh. Are you still a child? Yes. You still live in that home? Yes. Are you going to go get ice cream that night? Probably not. <laughs> yeah, probably not. There's a judgment coming. If you're here this morning, you're a born again child of God, we are going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account of the works done in our body, whether they be good or they be bad, and they will be tried by fire. 2 Corinthians 5, 2, Paul talks about it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according that he hath done, whether it be good or whether it will be bad. And from that judgment we will be rewarded chapter 3 and verse 13 of 1 Corinthians, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. This is the same thing that happens when you take gold or silver and you run it through a fire and you get rid of the impurities. God is getting rid of all the junk that we wasted our time on that we wasted our energy on, that has zero eternal value. Are there things that we do that have eternal value? Yes, things that glorify God. Well, does it mean that we should just never eat again? I mean, no, that we can glorify God in our eating, so that has eternal value. You know, don't 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 get uh, monastic on me here. You know, find a cave to go live in. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's un, that's unbiblical too. But listen, our work's going to be tried by fire, and those things that remain are going to be rewarded, and the things that are burned up and gone, there's nothing to reward. And some people are going to come with a pile of things that are going to go through the fires of the judgment of Jesus Christ. And at the end of it, it's going to come out a little bunch of little stuff. And that's about it. Yeah. We're going to be rewarded. Verse 14 says, If any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. But there's going to be those that are going to suffer loss. Verse 15, If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved Yet so as by fire. I think I've said this before. One of the more numbing thoughts I've had of my own life and existence as a child of God is visualize. You ever, you ever visualize or try to think? I wonder what heaven. I wonder what it's going to be like the first, when I close my eyes in this world and open them up, and I've been released from this body and I'm in the present. I wonder what that's going to be. You know. You ever think of those things? And I've thought of the judgment. I've tried to picture that. And I've actually thought, I wonder, I wonder what it would be like if I really had nothing to give him. You say, oh, we're going to get crowns. We're going to be rewarded. We will be rewarded for what we've done for Christ. Yes, we are. But you know what the Bible says? We're going to lay him at his feet. And I had this thought one day in my own life. What if I really had nothing to give back? I mean, of all that he's done, of course, we, I mean, we, we will never, we, we're not we're talking about working for our salvation. But we're talking about working for, in, in, in our salvation, for the glory of God. And we have an opportunity to give just a little something back. And I thought, what if I have nothing to give back? 
What about that old, that little obscure lady that you never see, and she just kind of quietly walks in and walks out? You say, see her in front of you in the judgment. She's got about 400 crowns. You've got two. Yeah. Listen, a lot of what people do doesn't get seen. Actually, the things that God loves to reward are the things that are done without recognition. But we're going to a judgment, folks. And as children of God, we're going to report to the Lord Jesus Christ someday. And we're going to give an account for our obedience and faithfulness. Can I tell you, church attendance is an act of faithfulness? We're servants, aren't we? Can I tell you, Bible reading is an act of faithfulness? You say, well, it's just the Bible reading. That's well, faithfulness, friend. Don't, don't, under, don't minimize that. Don't think you have to... I know you might be thinking about one well, let me Let me show you the other side of the coin. Don't think you have to be some grand missionary to be faithful. You're faithful in the Word of God as a student, in reading the Word of God. You're, that's faithfulness, friend. That's faithfulness. Witnessing to family, friends, that's an act of faithfulness. Serving is an act of faithfulness. Watch this. When Paul got bit by a snake in the fire or a snake in the church, he shook it off and he went on for God. He was faithful. How was he able to do this? Let me give you three ways real quick and I'm done. Well, number one, he knew Jesus. He was born again, child of God. He met Jesus and he was saved. Number two, he walked in the Spirit. Remember he said, I go up to Jerusalem bound in the Spirit? What does, it mean to walk, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Just walk in the Spirit. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Do what God tells you to do when He tells you to do it. No, it's not some weird ethereal thing that we're trying to get to, walking in the Spirit. Oh. It's like some mountaintop experience we're walking in the Spirit. No, just do what God tells you to do. When you come to a crossroad in life and the Spirit of God says, no, I think you ought to go here. Yeah. I think you ought to switch the channel. I think you ought to click the mouse off of that. I think you ought to put that down. I think you ought to talk to that person. When you do it, what are you doing? When you obey that, you're walking in the Spirit. It's that simple. Paul knew the Lord Jesus Christ. He walked in the Spirit. And thirdly, he had the Word of God. He had the Word of God? Yeah. Jesus said, you're going to Rome. You've witnessed for me Jerusalem. I'm sending you to Rome. And you know what he did? He got to, he's going to Rome. Yeah. If he wasn't at this place in his life, it might have been awful hard to shake off and get back to work. Those of you that have been in the past, uh, you're called into ministry, you pastored maybe, and some of you know there are times when you might have wanted to quit. <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if Brother Carl you've ever been like that or had a church you thought I could just throttle every one of these guys in here. <laughs> you know, I've never thought that here, but no, you can. You know, but you know what? You know what kept you there, and you know what kept you there, Brother Bob, and you know what kept you there. You know what kept you keeps you there. You look back and you say, God told me to do this, right. and you drove a stake into the ground. You said, Well, we're staying. Because he hadn't told me to go anywhere else. Yeah. Just so you don't get excited, he hadn't told me to go anywhere else either. I've warned you. I'm getting buried in the back here. So you might as well start liking me. (laughs) Yeah. 
will you shake it off? You've been bit. How are you going to get rid of it? Just like Paul did. You get rid of it just like him. You've been bit. You've been attacked. Your plans have been, been up, un, upended. Life isn't... Well, you aren't in a place in life where you ever thought you would be. And just like Paul, the Holy Spirit recorded this for a reason. You can shake it off and you can go on for God. Will it look the same as before? No, maybe not. But you're still a servant of God. Yeah. Why don't we just stop here? Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for what I see as an encouragement and a challenge. So many of us in the Christian life... I don't, there, there's, nobody gets out of life unscathed. And I don't I believe there's a believer on the planet that doesn't get out of this life without being bit somewhere. And it's easy to get sidetracked after we're bit. It's easy to back away and turn around and go home after we get bit. It's easy to just not shake it off and let it just hang there and never let it get out of your mind and, never, and can continually dwell on it and never let it go. It's easy to do that. But Lord, if we're going to go on and serve you, we're going to need to shake it off and dust ourselves off and get up and get back on the bike and get back on the horse, get back in the ministry, get back doing what we we're told to do. And uh, Lord, it's possible to do it. That's what I'm thankful of here, Father. It can be done. So Lord, would you work today in your people? I don't, I don't know what's going on in lives right now, but you do. And I just ask you, Father, as your Holy Spirit even now begins to work in a heart and a life, Lord, that uh, there might be those who need to just uh, get back going. and Maybe it might be things years ago, years and years ago, that they haven't been able to let go of that they need to today and get back at it. We pray you'd work that way. We thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?